בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים. We're back here on our Tuesday night, שיעור Jewish intimacy, where, ברוך השם, the Ramban has been educating us, educating us about what is the significant difference between the Jewish people and the rest of the world, what is the significant difference between Jewish intimacy and what the world calls sexuality. And tonight is going to be... Uh, just like the other 30 or so uh, lectures in this series, another shocker, another insight, another um, rewiring of our minds is necessary in order to truly take things to heart. Tonight's show will be for the Refuah Shlema and Atzlacha Rabah for Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat, Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah, Avimori David Ben Esriya, Imimorati Doris Bat Zora. Um, Sarah Bat uh, Esther and all of Am Israel, all the righteous Noahides, especially the ones that uh, watch our shurim and contribute to our organization by donating on a regular basis and helping us as much as they possibly can uh, because there's so many different projects, Baruch Hashem, that uh, we're doing. There's just simply not enough time to even tell you guys about it. But um, Baruch Hashem, it's going, it's going, it's, uh, it's a lot of action. Uh, the uh, distribution here in South Florida of all of the different books and CDs and USBs and everything else is simply going much, much better than we ever thought and ever imagined. I think the uh, special Siata Dishmaya that we've had in that project has uh, simply been because there hasn't, wasn't really much planning. There was simply a will to bring more Torah to the community and Baruch Hashem, there are literally uh, countless people that are getting free education, free books in English, in Hebrew, about different subjects. Uh, and uh, you see so many happy pictures that we're getting every day. We're publicizing some of them. Uh, we're seeing people putting on tefillin. We're seeing people excited about Torah. And Baruch Hashem, there's more Torah being learned. Uh, it's a, a very expensive project. As far as money is concerned, uh, I uh, have to estimate it's probably somewhere between five to ten thousand dollars a week is being uh, spent right now for uh, to just to simply uh, uh, supply uh, everything that's necessary. But uh, any of you that want to join us in this project are more than welcome to. Uh, of course, the other projects are feeding the poor that we do all year. There has been uh, several new families. Uh, in Israel that we've uh, uh, put on the uh, on the list of, of different people that we're sending them money uh, on a weekly, sometimes on a monthly basis. Uh, today, there was a uh, tzaddik from uh, Eretz Yisrael that asked me if I have a family that needs some help for Shabbat because he wants to donate for it. And, you know, for me, it's uh, always nice to hear people wanting to donate, but at the same token, it's a uh, amazing that uh, uh, you know, the people don't realize how much need there is. And uh, there's simply uh, an enormous amount of need, and Baruch Hashem, we're trying to do whatever we can. The families that we know, the families that come to us through different ways, uh, we try to help them as much as possible. Some of them are older, some of them are younger, some of them have kids, some of them have tragic stories that you don't even want to hear about. Uh, but Baruch Hashem, anyone that wants to help us feeding the poor, in Eretz Yisrael is more than welcome to. There's simply not enough time for me to do a campaign for everything. So if you want to help us with that, you can. If you want to help us with our kolel, our kolel of Dayanim, as I spoke to one of my very dear Talmidim uh, earlier today, we were studying together a little bit a, uh, a sugya, which is a, a really simple, basic Judaism, but unfortunately 
there are many people that are uh, are teaching the opposite and um, and sometimes just simply uh, doing it out of ignorance, sometimes out of evil. I'm not really sure which one it is at all times. I don't know everybody. But all I know is that <clears throat> as soon as you go into the books, uh, you uh, you find the sources very quickly, you find the truth very quickly. And uh, Baruch Hashem, uh, one of the things that I tried to explain to him is that all, well, all of the uh, different people that uh, like to speak against us, like to say the things that we do are not right, like some of the people that are uh, trying to annoy and stop us with our local distribution of books and tefillin and everything else that we're doing here in Florida, there's plenty of these uh, fake Hasidim uh, uh, that are uh, you know, trying to bother our boys and uh, telling them to stop and yelling and trying to embarrass them, but in reality they're embarrassing themselves. Uh, and, uh, and of course there's all of the people online in different places. And I always tell people, listen, while everybody can say whatever they say about my personality and what they like and what they don't like and what I say and what I don't say, bottom line is until this day, Baruch Hashem, it's been approximately a decade or so that we've been giving shurim. Not a single time has anybody brought a mistake where we said something that's the opposite of what the halacha is and we didn't correct ourselves. Uh, that we said something that's the opposite of what G'dolei Yisrael said and we didn't correct ourselves. All of these people, generally speaking, are always just uh, picking at straws of why they don't like the way, but they can't necessarily pinpoint any specific thing that we've done wrong. And on the other hand, I explained to him is that uh, the reason for that is not because I'm such a genius or so I know so much. Or I, it's simple. I surround myself with tzaddikim, with talmidei chachamim. We have a kolal of dayanim. These are the people that we learn with. These are the people that we rub elbows with. And these are the people that know everything. And uh, one of actually one of the uh, uh, rabbis that I know here in America who has a uh, kolal uh, for dayanim, he told me this, people don't understand how much of a need there is for dayanim. Uh, in America, where all of America, all of America, which is, uh, you know, the uh, the largest Jewish population in the world, is in America, aside from Israel, yet with all of the millions of Jews that are in America, there are less than 100 Dayanim in America. Less than 100 Dayanim in America. Our kolel alone, we have almost almost 10. So it's a, just so you understand, our kolel alone in Israel is already almost 10% of all the Dayanim in America. Uh, so when you see all of the people that speak against, generally speaking, you're not going to find Dayanim or real Tamidei Chachamim speak against. You're just going to find some pulpit rabbi or some YouTuber or some person that simply has nothing to do with themselves or with their life. That's who you're going to find. Why? Because if you go to real Tamidei Chachamim, they're going to tell you, listen, what he says is in the books. It's not a chidush. He's not giving you any new insights about the Torah. He's telling you basically what's written. You can look it up yourself. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of quoting the sources. That's the beauty of the Holy Torah where you know you're going in the right direction. You know you're going, as the Torah says, B'derech amelech. And of course, the same concept goes with everything else that uh, this series has been teaching us. But before we start the series, I want to uh, uh, give you guys a little bit of an update, small update of our new winner. We have our new winner. Our new winner because we said that every new thousand subscribers on uh, the YouTube channel, we're going to be giving out a, 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 a prize uh, that uh, is a valuable prize. And uh, we have ourselves, this is the prize 
The prize is my uh, one of my favorite books uh, ever, uh, and it's a it's a book that we actually did a whole series on the Pirkei Avot. But this is not just any Pirkei Avot. This is the deluxe version that Archcrow has with the English and Hebrew, as well as commentary from different sages uh, throughout all of the times. It's a fantastic book. Highly recommended to read this book. But of course, many times people uh, can get lost, can get lost in the commentary, can get lost in the translation. They're not necessarily understanding everything. And that's why we accompany this amazing book with our USB of 179 lectures about the Pirkei going over word for word every single page in this book, as well as much uh, other material that we got from many other books, Baruch Hashem. This series took us, I think, almost three years, and uh, by far the most extensive series we've had. And the winner will get this. Our last winner actually got this package sent to Israel. So we don't have any limitations to our winners. Uh, so we sent them to Israel. They're very happy about it. And now we're going to announce the next winner. And the next winner is, what is this? Brian S5122. Okay, yeah, it's not five. Is it? Okay, so Brian S5122. That's the uh, uh, the winner, Baruch Hashem. He's also an a, a extraordinary person that also helps us with a uh, putting the timing. Some of you that are uh, that are following us on YouTube and everywhere, you could see that he uh, often puts the timing on the uh, different clips that we can make or different uh, chapters. Uh, and segments of the Shulim, so I'm actually very happy to give him the uh, the prize, uh, and Baruch Hashem, he deserves a lot more, but this uh, is going to go to you, Brian, just uh, I need you to contact me and tell me where to deliver it, uh, this extraordinary package, Bezot Hashem, of course, we're going to add a few other goodies in there, as we always do in our packages, so Brian S, 51 our YouTube subscriber, student, and extraordinary uh, contributor, to our uh, to our Torah and our Kiruv. So thank you very much for uh, participating. Again, we have uh, only a few hundred subscribers away from uh, getting to uh, uh, the next thousand, which I think is forty thousand. And of course, another prize will be given at that time. Anybody that's a new subscriber uh, is going to be included, but also all of the old subscribers are included in the so-called raffle. So. With that being said, we have, Baruch Hashem, a uh, lot to talk about, and Be'ezot uh, Hashem, we'll get to it. So the Ramban has really been re-educating us uh, about uh, what, to, what, what to think about when it comes to intimacy. Uh, in fact, he showed us an extraordinary difference, a world of difference between what Jewish intimacy is versus what the world calls sexuality. And of course, anytime a person thinks about intimacy, typically they're thinking purely about the physical aspects of it or the results. But rarely does anyone go into the thought processes of what's going on. And that's, in essence, the segment uh, that the Ramban has been discussing in the last couple of lectures, where in so many words, the Ramban is telling us that the your thoughts are not empty thoughts. Your thoughts can create a reality. And in fact, one of the things that all parents, and Baruch Hashem, a very proud parent of three little tzaddikim, and Bezat Hashem, Ken Yibu, as the Rabbanit, uh, will, uh, will uh, uh, 
uh, be healthy and strong, uh, the uh, and, and we'd be blessed with with more. The the beauty is is that when you have kids, uh, it, it doesn't take very long for for you to love them, but it does take a little while for you to know what you have, because all babies are born cute. All babies are born cute, generally speaking. If they're born normal and healthy, they're generally very cute. And even sometimes when they're not so healthy, they're still very cute. But to know really what you got as far as what kind of personality, what kind of person, you know, traits, what kind of uh, uh, what they call midot, character traits, this baby has is going to take a little while. And every parent will tell you that they want the best of themselves in this baby. You know, so if a person is generous, they want their kids to be generous. If a person is a calm person, and, and, and never really gets uh, anxious. Of course, they want their kids to have that. If, you, if the person is generally a happy person, they want their kids to have that. If the person is uh, very ambitious in positive ways, they, they want their kids to have that. If you ask any parent, do you want your kids to have the greed that you have? No. D- do you want your kids to have the uncontrollable lust that you have? They're gonna look at you like, are you crazy? No, obviously I don't want my kids to have all those bad things. What about the anger? The anger that you have. You know, the last time you had anger and, you know, you broke a laptop over somebody's head. You know, the last time you cut off the guy in the middle of the highway and almost caused a uh, uh, three-car accident. What about that? Do you want your baby to have that? They may hit you if you ask them that question. Why? Because nobody wants that. They don't even want it for themselves. They don't even want it for themselves. But of course, you tell them you want your kid to have that. No parent wants their kid to have those bad things. But the truth is, is that many times as the parents see their kids grow up, they start to meet, to to really get to meet them. The cuteness stays, changes, but stays more or less as their children, but the personality that the kid has comes out and then stands out much more than acuteness does. And you start getting to know what kind of kid do you really have? What kind of fruits did you bring into this world? Is this child a greedy child or a generous child? Is this child a a child that, that is happy or miserable? Is this child clever or foolish? Is you know you know sometimes you have uh, parents make little videos of their kids and you know of course uh, you know many you know many people like to laugh at little kids because it's cute to, to see them fall in their uh, little behinds or or, or make the uh, uh, same mistake over and over again. Uh, there was a video that was uh, sent to me uh, recently where uh, you know somebody said, "Look at how ambitious and persistent kids are," and they have this little infant eating a kiwi. And the kid, you know, the little baby takes, a, you know, try, puts the kiwi in his mouth or her mouth. I'm not sure if it's a boy or a girl. Can't really tell when they're that little. And as soon as he puts it in his mouth, uh, he starts crying. He makes this, uh, you know, this face like, oh, I can't believe it. He starts crying. And then literally two seconds later, he puts it back in his mouth. And he starts crying again. And you're like, is this kid crazy? And then he does it again, and again, and again, and again. And of course, it's cute. But at the same token, it's a little crazy. Like, why do you keep doing it? Well, that's because he's a baby. That's why. Now, these types of traits 
certainly don't tell you who the baby is because most babies are going to do those things. You're going to find out once that kid starts speaking. You're going to find out more once that kid starts walking. You're going to find out once that kid starts developing the ability to communicate in a comprehensive manner. What kind of fruit did you bring into this world? And many times, parents are disappointed. They don't say it, but they certainly think it. That not only did the best parts of them not always necessarily go into that kid, but many times, parents have told us that they don't even know who this kid is. They act completely differently than the parents do. They have these strange personality traits that are foreign to the parents. Sometimes they even look different, very different. Now, of course, we could always say that this is adultery, but it's not necessarily always adultery like people think. And this is the segment of what the Ramban is going to uncover for us. Because there is a type of adultery that everyone is, is familiar with, but there's adultery that perhaps most people are not aware of. Adultery of the mind. And the Ramban goes into it and in telling us that the thoughts will become one and the Shekhinah will rest with them and they will bring forth according to them a pure form if there are positive thoughts. The last segment he completed by letting us know, know that if we have holy thoughts, the Shekhinah wants to be next to us. We'll produce good fruits. But of course, the average person is say, wait, are you sure about all this? Are you certain that these types of things really matter till this day? So Ramban, of course, nearly 800 years ago, already addressed the people that are going to doubt some of the words that have been said. And he says, Do not be surprised at this. For even the wise men of philosophy and science know that this is the nature of things. Here the Ramban is not just talking to you as one of the Rishonim, the leading sages of all time of Am Yisrael, but he's also talking to you as a doctor, as a philosopher, as a scientist. He was well established in many different fields, similar to the Rambam, Maimonides. Only difference is they lived, in essence, uh, when the, uh, uh, the, um, the Rambam left this world. I believe the Ramban, Nechmanides, was, I think, somewhere around five or six years old. And he says, do not be surprised at this, that even the philosophers, the wise men among the, uh, the sciences, know that this is the nature of things. That in accordance to the thoughts and ponderings of the man and his wife, at the time of their intimate union, will be determined the traits of the child for good or evil. See, here the Ramban is repeating a point. But he's going to take it a step further today. He's telling us, again, what you and your spouse have on your mind during that time of union will produce 
results will produce fruits whether they're going to be fruits you're proud of or suffer from whether those fruits are going to be delicious amazing or they're going to be rotten will take you some time to find out perhaps but those thoughts for sure will bear fruits no less than the physical part and he says that in his day this was common knowledge not just among the jewish people even among the non-jews i believe there are certain people that are learned in this uh, aspect as well today and uh, are familiar with it perhaps not as much as in the past but uh, because people believe a little bit more in technology today and in their own uh warped minds and new ideas than they are uh in the uh the old traditions and, and teachings that have been proven but nonetheless this is this is uh knowledge that exists in the world many times people put a lot of hope into the new sciences the sciences that are in so many words trying to rediscover the wheel and this fools a lot of people because the average person that's not learned in torah and needless to say not learned in science is sometimes very quickly fooled by science but of course the torah says itself that the truth will come out even from underground that the truth will come out will root will uproot from from the ground even if you try to cover it for anyone that follows or perhaps uh heard this there was a famous series of papers that came out about 15 years ago from harvard and this these papers really transformed the behavior of how companies uh in essence operate how they set up their forms for people to fill out how they market certain things because a certain researcher a so-called behavioral scientist that was a leader in the, her field came out with reports about lies about how lies affect the people that are filling out forms the people that are buying your product and she did this thorough report that was so groundbreaking that its findings literally transformed the way major corporations have been functioning for the last decade or so now interestingly enough none of what she said is actually true how do we know a new group of scientists decided to take what she said and test it and test it and test it and test it and after testing it multiple times and then giving it to different groups of scientists and researchers that were also well established no one can reproduce the results of this harvard established researcher that got notoriety and certainly got financing and money and and fame 
that major corporations like Coca-Cola and, 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 and Walmart and all types of major companies of that stature literally transform the way they operate because of this behavioral research about lies, about truth, only to find out 15 years later that the research about lies is a lie itself. The beauty about the Torah is that you can't get away with lies because those that dedicate themselves and their lives to Torah, that means they've dedicated themselves to the truth. And anytime anybody is willing to challenge that truth with some new truth, they're going to look at it with every single ounce of their energy to make sure that this is indeed truth and if it's false they're not embarrassed to embarrass that falsehood to bring shame to that falsehood and that's why as i've said in recent lectures the reason why it's so simple to pinpoint the heretics the the, the wicked ones that are going against the torah is simply put they're never going to give you a valid source for anything that they say. They're just simply depending on people's ignorance. Because whatever is true has always been true. In the world of Torah, there is a record of that truth. So if somebody says something today that's part of the Torah, that means that I can track its footsteps. Where did it come from? Where did this truth come from? What is it based on? And then, of course, if it's true, it's based on teachings of another sage that brought the same idea. And that sage didn't bring it out of his own imagination. He had to base it out of teachings of another one, and another one, and another one, all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu. And you can see, if you track any particular idea in the Torah, and you see the source... Many times the sources that people quote are things like, well, you know, where it's 500 years ago, 800 years ago, 1500 years ago. But generally speaking, all of those ideas are all rooted in the idea we all got in front of millions of people 3,334 years ago. And the oral Torah is there to elaborate what those ideas are. So if something is based on something you can track all the way to Moshe Rabbeinu and his Matan Torah, certainly this is something that's part of the truth. But if you cannot track it, not only you can't track it to Moshe Rabbeinu, but you can't even track it to any of the Rishonim from 800 years ago, like the Ramban that's teaching us about Jewish intimacy. In fact, you cannot even track it to Rabbi Yosef Karo, what they're saying is not according to halacha but of course they're going to assume that people are not only ignorant but they're also stupid and they're going to say no no this is just part of chasidut fine chasidut is part of the torah where in chasidut oh the rabbi said it fine the rabbi said where did he say it oh he said it in a speech no problem which speech where Oh, you really want to know? Oh, it's in that speech that happened in uh, Hanukkah. <laughs> the Rebbe gave a lot of Hanukkah speeches, and they're all documented. The Rebbe gave a lot of Parashat Shavuot speeches, and they're all documented. Where? And that's when they're gonna, you're going to see them run away. Run away like little mice. 
Why? The source doesn't exist. And if they ever bring you a source, if you're a Talmud and you know how to read, you know how to understand things properly, you see that what they said and what the source is are literally a world apart. Literally a world apart. This is important for a person to know that sometimes you're going to read things and you're not going to understand. And there's no shame with not understanding. There is a shame with claiming to understand when you really don't. There's even a bigger shame to pretend you understand by teaching things that don't actually exist. And that's why, Rabotai Karim, the Dran, in his Sichot Aran, he brings some of the basic foundations of Torah that are necessary for us to understand these ideas that the Ramban is bringing us. And he says in the name of Rabbi Udan Asi that one who knows nothing of the Torah, of, the, uh, uh, of, of all of these different teachings that are out there, but yet walks in a simple path and fears God's punishment, he's fortunate. Meaning, even if you're not well-versed in the Torah, even if you're not well-learned, as long as you fear punishment and thereby act accordingly, which means you're not going to do something that's the opposite of what the Torah says, that's the opposite of even what your inner intuition says, that's the opposite of what your rabbi told you to do, not because you necessarily always agree or you always understand, but simply put, you're afraid to do something wrong. And that's why he continues and he says, and the only way to begin to serve Hashem is through fear of retribution. Without that, it's impossible, says Daran. This is literally 800 years ago. It's impossible to take the first step of serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Even the tzaddikim must have such fear since very few can devote themselves to God merely because they love Him so deeply. The main thing is fear of punishment, says the Ran. This is Sichot Aran, fifth Sicha. And one can also serve Hashem out of a sense of awe, because He is so great and powerful. As the Zohar Kadosh says, this is a higher level of fear, but it's also very difficult to attain. For most people, the path to devotion is founded upon the simple fear of punishment. So anytime somebody tells you, ah, stop talking about scary things or punishment or people are wrong or heretics, all that stuff, I'll stop when the sages stop. Are you greater than the Ran? Are you greater than the Rambam? Are you greater than the Ramban? Are you greater than all of the Rishonim? Are you greater than the Gemara? No. If you were dust under their feet, that would already be an achievement. Hence the reason why when the sages say something, we have to take it at face value, even if we don't necessarily understand, agree, or even want to. We simply have to take it and say, Baruch Hashem. The Rambam says, in his days, even the wise men among the goyim knew this truth, that the thoughts and the ponderings of a man and his wife at the time of their intimate union will determine the traits of the child. 
And there is already brought to us in a Midrash. He brings a source. One that we've spoken about. There's a couple of similar stories. We'll bring both tonight, Bezal Hashem. Where there was an incident of a royal consort who gave birth to a black son. Even though she and the king were white and handsome, and the king wanted to kill her. Until the, a wise man came and suggested that maybe it's due to her thinking about a black man at the time of their conjugal relations. They examined the matter and found black shapes on the wall decorations of the room that they had been intimate at that time. And she looked at those shapes at the time of their union and precisely in the matter, as in the matter of the peeled rods of Yaakov, meaning our forefather, meaning that she looked at the parts of the body that are supposed to be covered of these different images, of these different statues. As it's common, people make statues and sculptures where the people are naked. And this woman, that was a, uh, the, the, uh, the queen, she was looking at those parts of these black images, black statues, black sculptures, specifically at their organs and imagining and fantasizing and so the chacham that came to them and said to the king listen you don't need to kill her you don't need to kill her why she didn't cheat physically with any black man she cheated in our mind she fantasized she fantasized in our mind about being with that now in another midrash midrash tanhuma parashat naso is a similar story that will give us a little bit more chizuk based on the uh verse in the book of numbers chapter 5 verse 13 where it says and it's hidden from our husband's eyes this is to teach us that there are certain things that are hidden from the husband and asifri says this is referring to a husband that's pretending to be blind to his wife's adultery so that he can use the right of the bitter waters to kill his wife Meaning, he hates his wife and he wants to kill her. Why? Because divorce doesn't look so good to his good name. So he apparently gives her all the reasons in the world to cheat and he pretends like he's not seeing. So once she does what she does, he could go take it to the Queen Gadol and look like he's the victim. Another interpretation is that there's a guy that saw her, saw his wife doing things that are inappropriate, talking to other men, secluding herself with other men, but he overlooks it. Why? He loves her. He thinks he loves her. He's infatuated with her. 
he doesn't want to lose the money from the divorce, all types of different reasons that people have. In fact, one of the things that uh, I think we've told you guys uh, some time ago, when a woman has uh, used kishuf, you know, different uh, forms of witchcraft on a man, one of the signs that a uh, person will have that uh, she has some type of uh, control over him is that even if she does things that are outright wrong in the eyes of every normal human being, like being with another guy or doing all types of things with another person and he is incapable of leaving her, there's usually more times than not, there's a spiritual reason for it. It's not a, it's not because of his feelings and it's not because of her good looks either. It's usually because there's some type of kishuf involved. Because that's not a normal thing. A guy sees that his wife is cheating on him, or his girlfriend is cheating on him, or whatever a relationship he has, cheating on him, and he's still not willing to leave her, there's something wrong there. There's something wrong. Now, the Midrash continues and says, Our sages have taught us that when a woman is alone with her husband, and he is having intimate intercourse with her if she sets her eyes on another at the time of their intercourse there is no greater adultery for her than this here the midrash says something absolutely shocking but in so many words was said already just the midrash is giving you things in the right perspective you're with your husband he loves you you love him everything is good you have kids you don't have kids whatever the case is you had some marriage problems you had some hormonal problems you had all types of problems so your therapist told you listen to get yourself really in the mood why don't you guys watch some uh, pornography together why don't you guys watch some, uh, you know, love stories, movies on uh, Netflix together? Look at all types of people making all types of sins in public without feeling any shame whatsoever. That's going to get you into the mood. And therefore, you'll be happy. Our Holy Torah says, she is intimate with her husband, but in her mind, she's thinking about somebody else. There is no greater adultery than that. Meaning it's even worse than if she would have actually done something with somebody else. Why? Obviously, if she actually did the act with somebody else, she's not allowed to be with her husband anymore. So how could it be that the thought is worse than the the act itself? Because here the damage that it's causing, because it's in her mind, and needless to say if it's in his mind, if he's thinking about another woman, the damage is not only not realized by them, but they won't even acknowledge it once the damage is staring at them in the face. As the example of this woman that looked at a black statue. She's white, her husband is white, but they have a black kid. Like, what's going on here? Are you going with one of the people that works for me? What's going on here? No, 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 I didn't do nothing. I didn't do nothing. Obviously, he did something. The kid's black. I'm not black. If I was black, I'd be happy he's black. But I'm not black. 
So where did he come from? You cheated. I'm going to kill you. So comes the sage says, no, no, no. She cheated, but not what you, what you think. She cheated in her mind. She cheated in her mind. Our Torah says, cheating in her mind is worse. Why? The damage, you're only going to find that over time. You're only going to find that over time. As the prophet Yechezkel says, the adulterous woman receives strangers instead of her husband. Which means literally under her husband. While she is with her husband, she's receiving strangers. She's with other people. Is there a woman who commits adultery while she's under while she's under her husband? No. It's simply that this is the kind of woman who encounters a certain man, sets her eyes on him, and then she has intercourse with her husband while her heart is on him. She went to the store. She met a nice salesman. He's a salesman selling the dresses, selling the bags. You know, she went to some fancy bag store. Every bag's three, four, five thousand dollars. She went to the shoe store. She wants to get one of these, you know, fancy shoes where the heel itself is five hundred dollars. Just the heel. You want to get the rest of the shoe? Add another fifteen hundred. And who's selling it? A nice, good-looking young man. He's in shape. He's got cubes in his front and back. His hair stands in such ways it defies gravity. And he's so nice and smiley to the married woman. She says, no, I can't. Of course, even though yeah, I can't. Why? I'm married. Married, got kids, got this. No, I can't. You're cute, but now he'll give her his business card. He'll even say, listen, Call me with that wink of the devil himself. But she's going to hold herself back. She figures, I passed the test. I almost, but I passed the test. I only got the shoe, not the shoe salesman. I only got the bag and he's not inside it. She figures, I passed the test. Says the Midrash HaKadosh, you didn't pass the test. Why? The test just started. You allowed this person in your mind. That means he's going to be on your mind in the most inappropriate times possible. The times that you're intimate with your husband. And more times than not, you will find that this very same woman that allowed some guy, some salesman, some pop star, some whoever that she met at the coffee shop, that gave her the time of day, that served her with a smile, that said thank you when he got the tip. She allowed him inside the Kodesh Kodeshim called the mind. And she, all of a sudden, becomes in the mood with her husband. And she figured I passed the test. So what if I'm, uh, well, what's the problem? I'm allowed to be with my husband. Yes, with your husband, both physically and mentally. But what happens is she goes with her husband, but she's thinking of Steve. 
She goes with her husband, but she's thinking of Jose. She's going with her husband, and she's with some unknown person that's half her age. He's on our mind. And Hashem have mercy if that seed brings a baby to the world. Why? That seed and that egg will produce something with Steve's signature on it. Jose is going to have his little picture in that neshama that's coming. And even if there is no, even if there is no baby coming out of it, there's still a spark. There's still a spark that's created with every act of intimacy between a man and his wife. That spark is either a spark of Kedusha or Tuma. She's thinking about Jose and Stephen, the unknown guy at the coffee shop. It's certainly not going to be a spark of Kedusha. And says the Midrash, she's accepting men while she's with her husband. Shem Such as the story, says the Midrash, about the king of the Arabs. The king of the Arabs. Who asked Rabbi Akiva. This story is the opposite of the last one. Where he says to Rabbi Akiva, Mr. Rabbi Akiva, you know, the people that are not Jewish don't realize that when someone is a rabbi, you don't call him Mr. anymore. You just call him Rabbi. It replaces the Mr. Same concept where if somebody's a doctor, you don't call somebody Mr. Doctor. But it's funny, sometimes people say, Sir Rabbi, what do you think of such and such? Anyway, Mr. Rabbi Akiva, I'm black, and my wife is black, says the Arab. But she has born to me a white son. Shall I kill her because she has played the harlot while under me? Says, doesn't make any sense. I'm black, she's black both young and beautiful, but she brought me this little white baby. Looks like he came from Tennessee. Should I kill her? Why? That's how we do it here. Wife cheats. The end. Why is he asking Rabbi Akiva? He's not a Jew. Apparently he loved her. Apparently this wasn't just a regular woman. This was a king. He was able to get as many women and however many women he wanted. In fact, the Gemara in Masechet Kiddushin says 10 measures of promiscuity came to the world. Nine of them were given to the Arabs. Meaning that the most promiscuous people in the world have been the Arabs. You're going to say, wait a minute, that, that, that defies logic. Because from what you see on TV, what you see on the news, which they allow you to see, you see the Arabs are modest people. The ones that are religious, looks like they're the most modest people in the world. 
their wives are walking around with a tent covering them. Some of them that are really fanatic, you can barely even see the eyes. So how is that promiscuity? Ah, where would we go if we don't have our sages to tell us the stories and give us the real facts? Because the Gemara says that Ishmael, his people are the most imadist, most promiscuous, I should say. Most promiscuous. Out of ten measures of promiscuity, nine went to the Arabs. Now, some of my Arab friends that are watching this shulim, don't get offended. I'm not making this up. This is what's written. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be that way. Certainly, every person can overcome. Can overcome what he was taught that was wrong. Can overcome what he believed that was incorrect. Can overcome whatever negativity he had. But generally speaking, that's what it says. Now, of course, the Gemara says it. That's enough. But we need some sources that happen later to prove it. Years ago, there was a uh, kitug, prosecution in heaven against the Jewish people in Morocco. This was written in a book, Stories by the Babasali, called Sidna Babasali. And the Babasali told this story. And he says, years ago, there was a evil decree in heaven against the Jewish people. Why? Because the Sar, the angel of, the, of Ishmael, was mocking the Jewish people, saying, look at that. The Arabs are much more, my people are much more modest than uh, the Jewish people. Much more modest. They're walking around completely covered. And people think, oh yeah, that's because they're modest. Baba Sali says, no, no, no. It's not an accident that they're so extreme with their women's modesty and coverage. Because the reality is, according to our Torah, if they didn't do it, they'd literally, if, they, if the women weren't that modest, they'd simply rape each other. And one of the proofs was in this story. Well, the Baba Sali says that there was once a king, a new Moroccan king that was secular, that didn't like religion. And he passed an evil decree. And the decree was, any woman that comes out with the full outfit, covering herself like the tradition of the religious Muslims, will be publicly embarrassed as we tear her clothes off in public until she's like the way she was born. Of course, Morocco is full of Muslim people. People were shocked. What are they going to do? This is the king. In the beginning, nobody wanted to leave. You know, the women, what do you do? First woman that came out, says the Baba Sali. First woman that came out, came out according to the definition of the decree, which was walk around without sleeves, like a tank top. Literally, minutes after she walked out of our house, without our typical garment that's covering ourselves, minutes after she's walking around without sleeves, she's attacked by a bunch of different Arabs 
looking to rape her, but to such an extent that they start biting her until they killed her. Now, this obviously wasn't the expected result by the king or anybody else, but everyone realized exactly as what the Torah says. They got this high level of promiscuity, and it's not a coincidence that they protect themselves from that high level of promiscuity by simply going to the complete extreme. No one wants their wife to be raped. No one wants their wife to be looked at by anybody else. Why? Because they know that people can't control themselves. They simply can't. And one of the sages, the Mekubalim from the Abu Chatzira family, told this story and it went to the different generations as the Baba Sali told it to his students. And at the this story happened after the battle in heaven where Ishmael's Sar, Ishmael's angel, was in essence mocking the Jewish people that they're immodest and how his people are modest and therefore the decree in heaven was, okay, so prove it. And they brought this king into the world who brought this decree in order to prove the truth of the Torah and defend Am Yisrael in heaven. Once it was shown that this modesty is really fake modesty, it's really modesty out of necessity, not modesty out of actual righteousness, the decree against Am Yisrael for lack of modesty was in essence canceled. Not that it allows Am Yisrael to be immodest, but at the very least, we're not being compared to them. Now, the Midrash continues and says, that this black king thought that his wife cheated and he asked Rabbi Akiva what to do. Rabbi Akiva says, are there any images within your house that are white or black? And he says, yeah, I have white uh, sculptures in the house. Literally the opposite of the other story. And he says to him, well, when you are busy with her, says Rabbi Akiva to the king, when you are busy with her, she set her eyes on the images and bore a child like the images. Now, if you're surprised over this matter, learn from Yaakov, our forefather's flock, as written in the Torah. You know, in those days, even the Gentiles believed in the Torah. There wasn't a dispute like there is today between the uh, the Arabs and the Jews about what the truth of the Torah is. You know, today the Arabs, the reason why you're not going to see debates between Arabs and uh, rabbis is because the Arabs believe that we changed the, uh, the Torah. They believe in the Torah, but they believe the Torah is something else. It's not what we have. That's why there's no uh, um, debates between the two. But anyway, the... Uh, Rabbi Akiva says to him that in uh, Sefer Bereshit, chapter 30, verse 39, it says that since the flock conceived by the sticks, 
The flock bore streaked, speckled, and spotted young. That's where we learned that what the sheep saw led to what they produced. The king of the Arabs thanked Rabbi Akiva and sent him on his way. And thus, when any woman, says the Midrash, is alone with her husband in holiness, in the end, he produces righteous children from her. And thus we find it so in the case of Chana, who was alone with her husband in holiness, and so the Holy One, blessed be He, did not deprive her of her reward. Rather, He gave her a righteous son like Moshe Rabbeinu. As it says in the prophet Jeremiah chapter 15 verse 1, that even if Moshe and Shmuel, Shmuel was the son of Hannah, even if Moshe and Shmuel stood before me, meaning Hashem himself is comparing the two, where Shmuel was the equivalent of Moshe in his generation. It also says in Psalm 99 verse 6, Moshe and Aaron were among his priests and Shmuel was among those who call upon his name, meaning that Shmuel is being compared to both Moshe and Aaron. And also, the Midrash says, Chana said in the book of Samuel, Sefer Shmuel 1, chapter 1, verse 27, For this child did I pray, and the Lord has granted me my permission. Why? Because he was sown in holiness, meaning that the intimacy between Chana and her husband was... pure holiness holiness of the act itself physically holiness of the mind and the holy one blessed be he said in this world i abhor all of those people because they are from the unclean seed but i have chosen you because you are from the true seed as the prophet jeremiah said and i planted you as a choice vine all of it from the true seed. And also in the book of Sefer Dvarim, chapter 7, verse 6, and the Lord your God has chosen you. And also in the future to come, I am choosing only you, because you are a holy seed. As the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 65, verse 23, they shall not labor in vain, nor bear children in terror, because they are a seed blessed of the Lord, and their offspring along with them. See, here we see, Rabotai Karim, that the thoughts of sin are worse than a sin, as the Gemara in Masechet Yoma says, where if a person doesn't act, typically, even if he wants to deny it at first, he knows that there's going to be an outcome from it. There's going to be an outcome from it. But that's usually when he, if he goes, if he steals something, if he says something false, if he does anything inappropriate that he's, in essence, admitting that this is his own actions, he's admitting to the significance of his actions, he knows that there's a cause and effect. Thoughts, though, on the other hand, the average person does not think that his thoughts have that much weight. The average person does not think that his thoughts actually create. So he thinks, whatever I think about, what difference is it to my wife if she doesn't know what I'm thinking? And she thinks, whatever I'm thinking about, what difference is it to my husband 
if he doesn't know what I think. According to him, he is feeling pleasure. According to her, she's feeling pleasure. So what difference does it make what I think about? Says our holy Torah, in the Midrash Tanchuma and in multiple other places, the worst form of adultery is adultery of the mind. Why? Because no one is expecting the damage that's going to come. No one is even expecting it. No one is prepared for it. No one even understands what happened that once they see it, they don't even know how they own this. Like, how did this come from me? As Yaakov says to, uh, to uh, Yosef HaTzadik on his deathbed, when he sees the prophecy of what's going to come out of Menashe and, and, and Ephraim, he sees that eventually some Reshaim are going to come from them. They're not all going to be He says, who are these? Not who are these, the grandkids. Who are these that are coming from them? How are they coming from this? Sometimes people look at their kids and like, who are these? Where did this kid come from? Where did he get this horrible character trait? How does he look like this? How does he look like this? Would you watch that day before you were together with your wife? Oh, you had a conversation with your secretary? You asked her what she did this weekend? You asked her what she's going to do next weekend? You asked her how is it going with her new boyfriend? What'd you think about when you were with your wife? Guess what? Those thoughts from that little meeting you had with your secretary, even though it was only conversation, wasn't an act. But in your mind it was. Your mind produced. Your mind produced. Oh, you listened to that new famous consultant, marriage consultant that charges $1,000 an hour, tells you to watch movies before you and your husband are together? Or even during... And then you're surprised that a little pug came out of you? You're surprised that the baby you created is he has no body or likeness of a body. He's uh, literally like something that's of a different planet. Why are you surprised? What'd you think about? What'd you think about when you were together with your husband? Oh, that's scary. It's not scary. It's a warning. It's a warning for people that haven't produced yet all of their fruits. Whatever you produced, we're going to talk about it in a second. Whatever you produced already, there's nothing you can do about it as far as going back. You can't put them back in the belly. Certainly you can fix it, which we'll talk about in a moment. But as far as what you didn't produce, what you didn't produce, that's what you need to know this for. Now, of course, person's going to say, wait a minute, but what about Yaakov and his twin brother Esav? How did Esav come out? Well, first of all, you should know that Esav had the level of holiness, the spark of holiness within him that had the potential to be even higher than Yaakov Avinu. He was supposed to be a father to half the tribes. It was supposed to be six to Yaakov and six to Esav. Until they were teenagers, they looked exactly alike with the difference in color of hair, exactly alike. Both were yeshiva bachurim, both were 
seemed to be great kids. Everybody saw them as these are the Frum kids. These are the future G'dolei Adol. But Esav didn't want to continue connecting what he learned from his father, what he learned from his grandfather, Avraham, to his actions. Why? He wanted to follow his desires. And once he started following his desires, everything fell off from there. This is the reason why when the son of Dan killed him and chopped off Esav's head next to Me'arat HaMachpelah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed the head of Esav to roll in to Me'arat HaMachpelah and be buried inside the cave of Machpelah, along with the patriarchs. Why? Because his head had a lot of holiness in it, had a lot of Torah in it. The body, though, didn't fulfill it. Therefore, the body was thrown in the garbage, wasn't buried inside Me'arat HaMachpelah. So, the key is not just necessarily to have the knowledge but to act on the knowledge. And when a person has negative thoughts, it's different than having Torah thoughts. Because the negative thoughts, typically, a person thinks, listen, if I have negative thoughts, but I don't act on them, it's no big deal. If I have holy thoughts, and I don't act on them, that's still good. Why? Because it'll influence my actions, it'll influence my attitude, but that's what they don't understand. Your holy thoughts are good, but they don't, if they don't follow up with action, they're almost useless. They're almost useless. If your holy thoughts are not followed up with actions, they're almost useless, like Esav. On the other hand, the impure thoughts, the thoughts of immorality, the thoughts of promiscuity, the thoughts of pornography, the thoughts of evil, all of those thoughts, even if you don't act on them, they produce evil. Certainly there's even more evil produced if you act on them. But even if you don't act on them, they produce a certain level of evil if you have them at the worst times. And that's what a lot of people simply don't understand. You had thoughts of another woman while you were intimate with your wife. You committed adultery of the mind and you will see the fruits from that, the impure fruits from that inappropriate thought that you got from a movie, that you got from some woman you met at the cafe, that you got from some promiscuous relationship you had, that you got from all of those things, they will bear fruits and they're going to be rotten. They're going to be damaged. They're going to be disgusting. They're going to be filthy. They're going to want you, they're going to make you want to regret the day you were born. And most of the time, you're not even going to connect the two. You're not going to connect, where did these things come from? Why did I just have this thing happen to me? Why is this? Why is that? Why? Because the average person doesn't think so much about the value of his evil thoughts. The same concept goes to a woman. She thinks, oh, what's the big deal that I talked to the guy at the Home Depot? He thinks I'm pretty. Why? I can't talk to a guy? I'm not doing anything. It's just talk. He told me about his wife and kids and how he doesn't really get along with us sometimes. I tell him about my husband and kids and how I don't get along with them sometimes. And you know, we, you know, we talk, we commiserate. He's my friend. We're platonic. No platonic, atomic. 
No platonic relationships in a healthy life. Only atomic. Because whether you follow up with action or not, it certainly creates a damage. Certainly creates a damage. And that's one of the things that many women do not understand. They allow these different people into their minds and they think, listen, as long as I don't do anything, what's the big deal? If he's on your mind, he's going to enter your mind at the most inappropriate times. And don't be surprised if the kid that comes out of you is going to want to work at Home Depot, is going to want to be like this superstar you met, is going to want to be like whatever movie you saw. And unfortunately, with all the negativity that follows it. And that's, Rabotai, one of the things that the Ramban is trying to tell us here. And then he follows up with even more astonishing information, where he says, Don't be astonished, for there is even more wondrous things in nature itself. A man was bitten by a rabid dog and contracts rabies from the bite. Because the hallucinations that he then has, people can't give him water. For he immediately imagines that he's seeing many tiny mad dogs in the water. And that's why the doctors say to give him water to drink through a straw. Because that way he can't see the water. But the guy just got, you know, is bit by rabies. And he starts hallucinating all types of things. Everything looks like rabid dogs to him, including in the water. Similarly, he imagines that he sees many small evil dogs in his urine. But if you were to filter the urine through a sieve, nothing would be found. There's no dogs in the urine. But he says, no, no, they're right there. They're right there. Look, look. He says, he's going to bite me. Go, go. Obviously, everybody's saying, oh, this guy's, you know, poor guy. He's, he's got a serious problem. He's got a disease, got rabies. But, says the Ramban, something extraordinary. All this, you heard, you know, it's new. But the extraordinary didn't come yet. The Ramban then says, if they would let the water stand for an hour in a glass vessel they would see little puppies there as a result of the many thoughts and confusion which he pictured in his heart. See, here the Ramban is telling us something absolutely shocking. Up to now, we figured if somebody does something evil, he goes with a prostitute and Shlomo Melech promises to anybody that goes with, with prostitutes, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 26, Shlomo Melech says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will make sure that you're going to be begging for bread one day. You're going to lose your money. Maybe not today. Maybe not even tomorrow or next year. Maybe it's going to look like you're a multimillionaire for a little while. Give it some time. HaKadosh Baruch Hu pays all of his bills. People that go to prostitutes eventually go to poverty. So we figured if he does actual prostitution he goes with promiscuous women he does all these things if you say that brings impurity to the world i understand even the most secular person understands if you say that she looked at a guy and then she thought about that guy 
while she's with her husband and that created all types of problems understand average person understands why she looked at some black statue she's with her little white as bread husband no the child comes up with a little blackness to him you're like well what's going on understand fine don't worry about political correctness it's not part of the series you get it for free now third option is what we're hearing here the Ramban says it's not just what he did that leads to results it's not just what he or she thinks that leads to results it's even pure imagination something that doesn't even exist will lead to actual creation the guy got bitten by a dog that has rabies automatically anyone that had any of these types of experiences whether it's a snake bite a rabid dog rape things like that automatically they're scared of that very same thing a woman that was raped generally speaking for a period of time she cannot be with anybody even if she's married to somebody and, and she's happy overall she can't be with them why she's traumatized a person that got bitten by a snake you even tell them the word snake they they can't they lose their mind person bitten by a dog if he doesn't have rabies you're fortunate but still traumatized i remember when i was a kid got bitten by a dog i wasn't exactly so happy about being next to dogs for a little while why because again you get bit by a dog it's not so much fun now if that dog has rabies there's something else why it creates all types of hallucinations and the Ramban says those hallucinations are going to create something meaning that the guy is hallucinating that the water has dogs in it the guy is hallucinating that even his own urine has dogs in it obviously there isn't but he says because he really believes it and he's imagining it he is now going to create different things in his body that even the germs or whatever that's coming out of his body will actually start taking the shape of these creatures meaning it's not just lust he acted on will lead to lustful thoughts lust she thought about lead to lust no no no. it's outright imagination something out of nothing still has the power to affect the physicality hence the reason why the Ramban then says understand this well and see how great is the extent of the influence of the power of thought in the time of marital union here we're seeing something truly unbelievable how powerful our thoughts are certainly a person wants to think good and therefore it can be good but many times people could be optimistic but bad stuff happens why because good and bad is determined by kadosh Hu. having a positive mind certainly can affect the actions that you do if you're a positive mind in a positive way according to the torah not some fantasy where a person thinks it's positive to meet a bunch of women that are promiscuous or something like that 
that's not positive, that's psychotic. Or she's positive that uh, if she meets a guy that's going to pay her rent, that's a positive thing. There's nothing positive about that. That's simply selling yourself, but not calling yourself a prostitute. So a person has to understand that, yes, your thoughts certainly can affect reality, but it's not necessarily in all the places that people think or apply it to. Rather, it affects a person and where it matters most and where it's going to have the most significant impact on the rest of your life. Where if you're thinking inappropriate thoughts because of what you see on the screen, what you communicate with, the way you carry yourself, that will produce results in reality. That thought will produce a reality. But even if a person doesn't want to think that this is 100%, it can be proven scientifically. Simply put, the Ramban says in his day, I don't know if this is necessarily still applicable today, of course, certain things in nature have changed, but the Ramban here is now talking to you as a scientist, not as a rabbi. He's giving you a scientific reality of that time. And obviously, he's a worldwide renowned scientist of his day. He's not going to walk around making statements and everyone's going to make fun of him. He's telling you, that guy that has rabies, you could test out the urine that he says has uh, dogs in it, and you're not going to find. But you give it an hour, you start seeing things look like dogs. Why? His imagination is influencing what's coming out of his body. His imagination, not the rabies, his imagination is influencing what's coming out of his body. Now, the Ramban also wrote this in the Torah, in commentary on the Torah, in Parashat Chukat, chapter 21, verse number 9. We just read it recently. Am Yisrael complains. Hashem hates complainers. Hates when Am Yisrael complains. Wants to destroy them because of their complaints. This time, he punishes them by sending them a bunch of serpents. A bunch of serpents biting people and people are dying left and right. Solution, he tells Moshe Rabbeinu, make yourself a serpent out of metal and put it on top of the mountain so they can look at it. So the Ramban comes over there and he says, why did he tell Moshe Rabbeinu to make a serpent? Moshe Rabbeinu chose to make the serpent out of bronze because Hashem didn't specify where, how to make this uh, serpent, so he made it out of bronze. But it was Hashem that told him to make a serpent. Why make a serpent? Why didn't he tell him, pray? Pray more, Moshe. When you prayed 515 times, I almost destroyed the world. If you would have prayed one more time, I would have had to destroy the world. Because I couldn't let you go into Eretz Yisrael. Literally, the heavens were shaking, the world was breaking because of Moshe Rabbeinu's prayer. 
So if Moshe Rabbeinu can pray, his prayer is so powerful, where all of Am Yisrael was praying for Miriam to, to, to heal from her tzarat, from the punishment Hashem gave her, all of Am Yisrael is praying. They're all reading Tehilim, they're all saying Kaddish, they're all saying the Tefillah, they're all praying, they're all fasting, everything. Nothing is working. Moshe Rabbeinu says five words. El narafan Miriam heals on the spot. On the spot, just imagine the prayer of Moshe Rabbeinu. So why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu say, Moshe, what, you want Am Yisrael to be okay? You want him to stop dying? Pray! No. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu, you want him to heal? Make a serpent. Make a sculpture of a serpent and put it on top of the mountain. The Ramban asked this question, why? Simple. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to teach us I decided that the serpent will bite you, will hurt you, to punish you. Naturally, the way the world works, when you get hurt from something, you're traumatized because you think it's always going to hurt you. But I want to teach you, it's not the snake that kills. It's the sin that kills, says Rabbi Hanina. And therefore... I'm going to use that same image that you're scared of to cure you. The snake that you're scared of that killed your friend, killed your uncle, killed your cousin. Go look at it on the statue. That's the cure. That's the cure. Yeah, but it doesn't make any sense. Exactly. It's not supposed to make sense. It's supposed to get you closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu because when you look at that serpent, you're going to see the heavens behind it and you're going to be reminded of who decided that this snake kills and that serpent that's made out of bronze cures. Only HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides. Only HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides. So here we see Rabotai Karim that the Ramban is telling us that you have yourself a situation where you may not think it's a big deal. Sort of like how that researcher from Harvard University didn't think it was a big deal to lie to the whole world and tell them that she's an expert about lies. And how, if they listen to her behavioral science research, they'll know how to do better. What she didn't tell them, that she herself was not an expert about lies. She was an expert in lying. But our holy Torah says, our Torah is emit. Our Torah is always emit. When you have a mind that doesn't agree with the Torah, that's because you've allowed sheker, you've allowed lies to infiltrate it. You've allowed the lies to go into your mind and tell you that lies are truth and truth is falsehood. That it's good to be promiscuous and being honest, ethical, monogamous, monotheistic, Having a true faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, 
and knowing that knowing that there is nothing else but him your mind is going to tell you no no that's not good all the other stuff is better even though the other stuff doesn't have any successful track record while the Kaddosh Baruch Hu does so when a person thinks that their thoughts are not going to lead to any type of negativity the Rambana is telling us not only does it lead to negativity but it literally can destroy your life that five-minute conversation five-minute movie clip five-minute show five-minute work you know conversation could literally change the rest of your life and that's what he says when a person allows these things into their mind carelessly they have no idea the ramifications in summation he says if a person has good and pure thoughts those thoughts will bear fruit and in that seed will be formed according to those good ponderings and will grow to be righteous kids and regarding this the prophet jeremiah says before i formed you in the womb i already knew you meaning akadosh Baruch Hu is saying to jeremiah i already knew that you are going to be a righteous person that i'm going to make a prophet that i'm going to have a relationship with that i'm going to utilize to rebuke am israel to deliver the truth of the torah i already knew at the time you were created because your parents created you with purity you came from a pure source because you became a pure source i selected you out of everybody else so when a person has these types of thoughts those thoughts literally engrave an image paint an image into what comes out of their body in the case of a man it's the seed in the case of a woman it's what happens in her uterus and says the Ramban and the truth is that before he is formed the good intention is prepared to form him and then the Shekhinah combines with the pure thought as our sages said in Gemara Masechet Kiddushin page 40a a good thought is joined to the deed by a Kadosh Baruch Hu. meaning that the Gemara is telling us that if a person has holy thoughts during his intimacy she has holy thoughts during her time of intimacy they're thinking about mitzvot they're thinking about holiness they're thinking about tzaddikim they're thinking about purity they're thinking about serving a kadosh baruchu they're thinking about the beauty of the torah certainly a part of them is enjoying the pleasure still has to communicate and and make sure that the other person is in line in sync 
enjoying physically as well as spiritually but their mind is pure it's not thinking about any filth they saw on a screen they're not thinking about any filth that some doctor told them to think about or to watch they're not thinking about anybody else but their spouse she's thinking about her husband and only her husband he's thinking about his wife and only his wife she's thinking he's the best and i love him he thinks she's the best and I love her. She's the most beautiful. She's the most wonderful. She's the Ashit Chayil. She's the gift of all gifts that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me. She thinks he's the gift of all gifts. I can't believe I merited to have him. And they're completely enamored with each other. And they're enamored with HaKadosh Baruch Hu that gave them the gift to be able to serve him while enjoying it. And how this holy Torah is a gift that is simply impossible to describe of how amazing it is and how fortunate we are to be Jewish people and how fortunate we are to be servant of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and how fortunate we are to be able to produce more good in the world and they're thinking about these pure things the Gemara says at that moment the Shekhinah itself HaKadosh Baruch Hu Shekhinah says hey that's holiness i'm going there the shekhinah looks at the holiness and says i gotta go there why because the gemara says when the shekhinah sees good it joins it you literally have the teachings of the sages from the mishnah Ish, isha, zechu, shechina b'neim. When a man and a woman merited, the shechina comes between them. Overall, we thought, yeah, of course, when there's shlombayit between the husband and the wife, the shechina comes, it heals all wounds with its medical, financial, whatever it is. If you have holiness in your house, everything will be resolved ultimately in a positive way. But here we see it go another level where a person now can have his pure mind, her pure mind literally bring the Shekhinah between them during the act of intimacy. Because she's thinking of pure things, she's thinking of her husband, she's thinking of holiness, because he's thinking of his wife of holiness and purity the shekhinah says i want to be between them i want to be between them because that's good and that's where i go i go where there's good this rabotai literally is something that you will see the fruits from it in extraordinary ways same way as the opposite and that's what the Ramban finalizes this point with and he says that if a man on the other hand thinks of sinful and ugly matters inappropriate sinful immodesty promiscuity filth if he thinks those things 
if she thinks those things, then the fetus is founded in an evil and ugly matrix and is destined to be wicked and foul. And concerning such a child, it says in the name of David Amelech, chapter 58, verse 4 in Psalms, the wicked are estranged already from the womb. Well, here we see that something that we've heard multiple times in this series come to life in a little bit more significant form. Where on one hand, the Ramban is telling us, you have these pure thoughts. You think of your husband and your husband alone. You think of your wife and your wife alone. You think of pure things. You think of holy things. You're going to produce holiness. Even if you don't necessarily think of yourself as holy, you're going to produce holiness because the Shekhinah is coming there and joining you. On the other hand, if you think of the filth that you saw in the past or you saw today or you saw last week or the person you talked to or the person you want to talk to and in so many words, places that you're not supposed to be are already in your mind that's also going to produce fruits but those fruits are going to be rotten those fruits are going to be expensive because the child that will come out of there will be one that has horrible traits and the price for that is very high because that conversation you had with your secretary or with some clerk or whoever you're not really supposed to talk to and think about, it's not only that it's adultery on your spouse, it's not only a betrayal of the power that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you, but it's literally choosing your kid to be born with a defect, a defect that he or she will have to suffer with for a long time. Because you chose to watch some movie, you chose to talk to some people, that child now has to live with that defect, that anger, that lust that's uncontrollable, that attraction to heresy, that attraction to things that are abnormal, those things he didn't have to be born with. You chose those things because you thought about people and things that are relating to it. And now the kid has to struggle his whole life with this. Now, of course, this all sounds negative for those that are thinking, what can I do about it? I already did it. I didn't know this is good news and good news is even better when there is solid proof of the most extreme way to show it works our sages teach us that lust can take a person out of this world 
Jealousy can take a person out of this world. Glory, seeking glory can take a person out of this world. A person that learns Torah for the wrong reasons, it becomes poison instead of a cure. But it also says the opposite. It says that if a person cleaves to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, cleaves to the Talmidei Chachamim, does everything that he or she can to follow the Torah to the best possible, the Torah turns into Sam Chaim, the potion and the cure for life, the cure to all ailments. The snake can turn into a cure rather than the disease. It's not coincidental that HaKadosh Baruch Hu asked Moshe Rabbeinu or commanded Moshe Rabbeinu to make the serpent into the statue that cures everybody and 3,300 years later the, me- the symbol for medicine is the snake. HaKadosh Baruch Hu chooses all of these things. He can choose the same thing to be a cure and the same thing to be a poison. It all depends on who and what. And if a person uses the Torah the right way, they can cure not only their own mistakes, they can even cure the mistakes that other people made. Years ago, there was a couple. This couple didn't exactly follow the Torah, didn't exactly follow the mitzvot, and figured that they could do whatever they want to do without any consequence. They thought whatever they thought, they spoke whatever they spoke, they ate whatever they ate, without necessarily thinking there's any problem, any consequence. This action brought a child, but they knew that this child is not something that they would ever expect the second they met the child because the child had Down syndrome. Now he had a horrific case of Down syndrome. Some of the doctors said it's one of the worst kinds. You know, some of them have a little bit of different face, certain deformities, the tongue may be sticking out a little bit, his tongue was completely out. His deformity was extreme. Now these so-called excuse for parents that did what they did, thought what they thought, continued in their ways and said they don't want any consequences for their actions. So what they do? They abandon the baby. Simply disappeared. This baby doesn't have anybody looking out for him. Nothing. Akadosh Baruch Hu took responsibility for this baby. There was a woman, righteous woman, never had any kids, always wanted one, was waiting to adopt somebody. Wanted her own kid, but the blessing didn't come. And she figured that she's going to adopt somebody. But of course, it's not so easy to find someone to adopt. It's not so easy to 
deal with all of it. After this baby with Down syndrome, severe case, came up, she got the call. She didn't want to adopt a kid with Down syndrome. That wasn't the plan. She wanted a normal kid. Beautiful little kid, playing around, jumping around. She could play with him. She could teach him. But she says that as soon as she saw this baby, she knew it was an impossible case. She felt it was her responsibility to take him and use the Torah to fix him. And from that moment on, this righteous woman took the responsibility of taking care of this kid much better than his parents ever did and ever could. And she took him as a son and she raised him and she committed herself to him completely to teach him how to talk, to teach him how to walk and to teach him about the source of all cures, the Torah itself. Now, of course, people thought she was crazy. I mean, you're waiting for a kid for so long. Out of all the kids, you get this one? Why? Get a normal kid. Just, you know, wait a little longer or until somebody else comes up. Why this? No, this is it. Yeah, but it's such a difficult life. I mean, you're not exactly rich. You're not exactly uh, have all the time in the world. Like, why? This is it. Torah is going to cure him. And that's what she believed. And she had him listen to Shulei Torah, get blessings from Tzadikim, go to different rabbis, get blessings. She would read to him. She would literally spend every waking hour with this boy. And after an extraordinary amount of Mesirut Nefesh, as he developed, certain things got worse, certain things got better, and then she met a rabbi and she asked him if he could help her to teach him Torah. And the rabbi said yes. Now, typically, when someone has Down syndrome or any type of issue, they put him in a special ed class with people just like him. So you see a class full of people with autism, Down syndrome, people that are just like them. This rabbi said, no, we're not going to cure him by putting him around people that are just like him. We're going to cure him by putting him next to people that are just like me. That are just like Bnei Torah. He's going to be part of the Gemara Shiur. He's going to be part of the Allah Shiur. He's going to be part of the Parashat Shavua Shiur. He's going to be part of all of it. He's going to be around people that learn Torah. That's what he's going to be around. Let the Torah fix him. And that's what they did. This little boy sat next to Chachamim and listened. And little by little, 
understood more and more, little by little, physically he would change. Of course, certain therapies, whatever the mom can do, she did. But the biggest part of the cure was his learning Torah. Little by little, he started becoming involved. He'd pick up the books, he'd put them away. Once in a while, he'd have an idea. Little by little, he started understanding things on his own. He started learning. He started learning Gemara. He started completing Masechtot. And he's already at a point today where aside from his looks, you wouldn't know there's anything wrong with him. He speaks, acts normal. In fact, he's ready to get married with a normal woman. He doesn't want a woman with Down syndrome. He says, I'm special. Why would I need somebody that's... Uh, I'm a Tomit Chacham. And he's right. He's about to complete the Shas. He's a person that we saw with our own eyes the Torah cure him. Because the rabbi was Rabbi Ephraim's father. And he, along with the mother and the young man named Raziel, were interviewed multiple times. We have the interview on our channel. With It's in Hebrew, but it has English subtitles. You can just type in Down Syndrome or Raziel on our channel, and you'll see this extraordinary story being told from him, from his mom, that's much better than the biological mom that he had. But you see, Rabotai, if Akadosh Baruch Hu allowed us to hear these stories, it's one thing. But he allowed us to see these stories. He allowed us to have a record of these stories that we can utilize in order to strengthen our emuna and know that regardless of what I did in my past, and what kids came out of me. I didn't have pure thoughts. I didn't have pure deeds. I didn't have pure acts. Okay, fine. But if HaKadosh Baruch Hu fixed a kid that was abandoned by his biological parents, was completely deformed, Down syndrome, a horrible case, to the point where today he's on a verge of completing the entire Talmud Bavli. What most grown men in, fifth, in their 50s and 60s have not done. He's completing in his 20s. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu can cure him with the Holy Torah, with learning, with following, Certainly, all of the mistakes that we've made could also be fixed with the same exact cure. The Torah can be a cure for all ailments, or it could be a poison. If you follow it, but only according to your likings, only according to your desire, turns into poison. 
if you follow it to the best of your ability to fulfill a Kadosh Baruch Hu's will and make His will as if it's your will, then the Torah turns into the cure. The cure of all ailments, literally. Whether that is an inability to find somebody to marry, an inability to bring children into the world, an inability to function properly, an inability to pay for things. Any deficiency that a person has can be cured by simply following the Torah. Now if learning Torah is such a cure, understand this well, that publicizing the Torah supporting the publicity of the Torah by helping other people learn Torah, do mitzvot, helping more people understand the truth of the Torah, supporting cubes, supporting specific shulim just like this one. How much more is the reward for that as a person is not only benefiting from the cure, but they now have become a distributor of the cure. In this week's parasha, Parashat Pinchas, HaKadosh Baruch Hu commands us to kill, to kill the Midianim, to destroy them completely. He didn't tell us to destroy completely anybody else, but he told us to destroy them completely. The Mepharshim say, that's because the Midianim caused us to sin. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, Someone who causes other people to sin is worse than a murderer. And this opposite is true as well. Someone that causes another person to do a mitzvah is even greater than somebody that did the mitzvah himself. So of course we could do whatever we can to apply most of this, all of this to our life. But don't lose hope if you can't do all of it because you can get even a greater benefit for supporting it, for sharing it, for distributing it to get the rest of the world to know that Hashem emit and His Torah emit. Thank you very much for learning with me. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu bless each and every single one of you to get rid of the adultery in the marriages, the adultery that is in our minds, the sins that have destroyed many families, and to adopt the Holy Torah into our life both during the day and at night, both when people see and we are not seen by anybody else by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Enjoy it, learn it, share it, and be holy.